open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to kind of back up a little bit from where we were last week. And again, we're in this series called um, We Care, and uh, we do care. We care about each other. We care about the lost. But right now we're focusing on that we care about the church and that the church being a movement. Now, never once is this word church to be used as an institution. This word church to be used as, well, church is an institution because the institution stays in one place. But the church are the people, and the people are designed to move, and we're designed to move with a message. Everybody say amen. A movement has to move. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2 again this morning and talk about that movement and, and talk about how this, this group of people that started with 12 uh, fishermen and carpenters and how it grew in a very um, short time to reach in the whole known world. And but what I want to look at this morning is this, everybody listen, is, is what happened to this first group of believers? You know, we, we, we understand and we looked at scripture when the Holy Spirit arrived and we're going to look at some scripture this morning, but something happened to them that caused them to move. And I hope that that very thing that we're going to be looking at this morning has happened to you. And, and um, cut to the heart. I'm going to ask you this morning, has your hearts been cut to the point that we can be just like these early believers and move as they moved and take that message of Jesus Christ to everybody in this whole world. Amen, everybody? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing, all right? So go with me to Acts chapter 2. And, um, you know, I believe that um, one thing that's puzzled historians for years um, unto why or how Christianity spread so fast in its earlier years. And again, the group Jesus left behind was relatively small. It really started with those disciples, didn't it? And again, they weren't very influential people. Um, they were fishermen and they were carpenters. And, and understand this, that Christianity didn't advance through conquest. That didn't happen until the 400 A.D. It didn't make its followers rich. Really and truthfully, that if you become a Christian, a lot of times you, were, you, were, you lost your fortune. It wasn't a popular thing in that first century to be a Christian. So why or how did it spread so rapidly? And so I want us to look at this first message that Peter preached, and let's, let's, let's show ourselves what it was that released this energy for this movement to be, to be successful. And again, this message um, that Peter preaches, it, we're going to see that it's relatively short, but it led to an extraordinary response that 3,000 people were baptized in one day as the symbol that they were going all the way with Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what it takes is going all the way with Jesus Christ. I think that a lot of people, we can get the religion of Jesus, but we don't get the lordship of Jesus. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And let me just tell you what happened to lead to this point. Now, the apostles in the first band of disciples had been hiding out together in an upper room. Remember, Jesus had told them to go there and do what? Pray, right? So for all that time, they were praying. 
And then the Bible says that a rushing wind came through, and then that, were, that was the Holy Spirit arriving. There were cloves of fire, and it says that they went outside into the crowded marketplace and temple where there was this huge crowd, and they began proclaiming the glory of God in languages that were unknown to them. And now pick it up in verse 22. And so you kind of got the scene. Here's this multitude of people. They're in the very same city that Jesus Christ was, 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 was crucified at. The very same, very same city. And so here's Peter, and they, he, they step out, and there's a crowd of people, and Peter starts to preach. And he said, men of Israel, and here's the message, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Now, underline that phrase, just as you yourselves know, because people knew about Jesus. Everybody say amen to that. They, they, they knew about him, and, but they had, a certain, they had a certain understanding of what they wanted him to be. Now, listen to Peter's message. He says, this man, talking about Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Can you imagine being in that group? And here's Peter, and he's looking at everybody just right dead in the face, and he said, you're responsible for the death of Jesus. You're responsible for the death of Jesus. All right, follow me here. But God, Peter continues, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then in verses 25 to 28, he quotes um, um, some of the Old Testament, but pick it back up in verse 29. And Peter continues in his very, very short sermon that led to 3,000 people saved. He said, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us in this day. Talking about King David. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God, and here's the message, raised up again to which we are all witnesses Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And here it is in verse 37. After he preached, this was the ingathering. He says, and it says, now, Luke records, now when they heard this, they were cut or they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and he said, they said, brethren, what shall we do? 
Now that's interesting. They, they heard this message. They were cut to the heart. And their response was, what shall we do? Because when we're convinced that Jesus Christ is God and that he's Lord, and when, when our hearts are cut, and we'll talk about that word here in just a minute, it's got to cause you to move and to do something about with what you know. Everybody, amen? So their response was, what shall we do? You know, they wanted to go. They wanted to move. They wanted to take this word. They wanted to be compassionate to other people. They wanted to be the church and to continue what Jesus Christ had started. Amen? Now, so they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And it felt like a, probably a knife had just entered into their chest. And, and we understand this and talk about, talk about this, this phrase, cut to the heart. Now, remember, Jesus had promised in John chapter 16, verse 8, that when the Spirit came, that he would convict the world of sin. And so this cut to the heart was this, is that they were convicted. They were convicted. Now, I put on the screen for you that this word convict, in the Greek, it means cross-examine. It means to press you with evidence until your unbeliefs are exposed and you consent to the truth. When these people asked, what shall we do? They consented to the truth that Jesus Christ is God. So two questions this morning, and, and, and the first one is, is why were they cut to the heart? Write this down. Why were they cut to the heart? Um, well, I believe there's two things about what Peter said that cut them and that the Holy Spirit convicted them of, that the Holy Spirit disconvinced dis, dis them to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And number one is they realized they had been wrong about Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. They realized that they had been wrong about Jesus Christ. You know, in Jesus' day, just like today, there were a lot of different theories about who Jesus was. People had all kinds of things they wanted him to be. Now, I know you've heard this before, but I want you to hear it again. And I think we do the same thing today because I think that it, back then, some just wanted him to be a prophet, calling the people of the Jewish religion back to a religion again. I think there are others who wanted him to be a political messiah. They just wanted him to deliver them from oppression and overturn that corrupt Roman Empire. I think others just kind of wrote Jesus off as some kind of a fake, perhaps a strange charismatic power that he had over people. But Jesus, and here's the key, but Jesus would not conform to everyone's expectations. Listen, he claimed to be God, and he demanded absolute lordship over his followers. He forgave people's sin and something the Jews thought that was very blasphemous. He claimed to be on a rescue mission to save people and that he was the only way. And you know, when I think of that time and day, and, and I'm going to set you here at the thought, I think in that time of day, people were like, Jesus, whoa, you know, chill out on the message here. You know, you're, you're going to get yourself killed. But he was crucified, wasn't he? Wasn't he? You see, here's the thing, is I think that a lot of people then and now, we kind of have this, this opinion of who Jesus is. And I think, you know, for them, they thought he was this and they thought he was that and they thought he was this and he come to do this and he come to do that. And the whole time he said, I'm coming to do this. 
And not until he was resurrected from the dead, then their opinions changed. It wasn't about what they wanted Jesus to be. It was about what Jesus proved himself to be, which is Lord God. And that day at the day of Pentecost, when the Bible says that they were cut to the heart, that the Holy Spirit convicted them, they realized that Jesus wasn't who they wanted Jesus to be or thought who Jesus was, that he was who he said he was, that he is Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and that he's God himself. And when they got convicted and their hearts were cut with that, that is what gave them the energy to go do what they had to go do. So I ask you this morning, you know, who is Jesus to you? Have you, has your heart been cut that Jesus Christ isn't some, isn't some fairy? He's not some rabbit's foot you put in your back pocket because you want something. He's not just that thing to make you feel better when you feel bad. And not just that, that person or that grandfather up in heaven that when life gets rough, that you can just have this kind of fake hope to hold on to that everything's going to be okay no jesus is god and he came to this earth to die for your sins he came to this earth to rescue you from a grave from a hell that lasts forever he came to save you because you can't save yourself i mean has that got do you do you know who jesus is who he really is has that has that cut your heart has the holy spirit has it had the opportunity to convince you and to convict you of that truth and to chase out all other unbeliefs Are you convinced about that? Because if you're not convinced about that, if you're not convicted about that, if you have never had that that cut to the heart, I'm here to tell you this morning that you cannot be part of that movement, that church that God has called us to be, that we have to be. Everybody? Yes? So cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart because they realized that they had been wrong about Jesus. And number two, they realized they were responsible for the death of Jesus. Verse 23 and 36, and Peter points at the crowd, and he says, you killed him. Gabby, you killed him. John, you killed him. Christy, you killed him. Gerald, you killed him. I mean, crazy, right? You know, thinking about Peter's sermon here, you know, Not everyone there had been directly involved in Christ's crucifixion, but he's looking at all of them, and he's looking at all of them, and he's saying, you killed him. Tommy, you killed him. Ricky, you killed him. Kim, you killed him. Look at verse 39. Peter says says this, and I just kind of paraphrase it, but he's talking to this crowd, and he says, this is about you, your children, and those who are far, far off, people in other countries all around the world that even haven't even been born yet. He's saying that this message is not just for that select group of Jewish people, but it was for all people to come, that all of us were responsible for his death. It's about you and me. And when Peter says you killed him, Peter was speaking personally. Peter knew he himself had part in it. Can I take you back to Luke chapter 22, that night that Jesus was crucified? Peter had denied him three times, and Luke recorded records a very important little detail in his gospel. And after the third denial, and it says at that moment the rooster crowed, Jesus hanging on the cross, and he was and he was and he was dying for the sins of the world. And as he was on that cross, Luke records that at that moment the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Look at it, Luke chapter 22, verse 62. 
Jesus on the cross right before he died. He looked straight at Peter. And the Bible says the next verse that Peter went away and he wept. Can you imagine that? Here's Jesus, and he's purple at this point. He, he, he has blood running down his whole body. He's got spit running down his face. And that cock crows the third crow, and he looks at Peter. And Peter must have just taken that in and recalled the count that when Jesus told him that he was going to deny him three times, and that's what he did. And I'm sure Peter, his heart was cut, you see, when Jesus looked at him and he went away and he wept because he knew that he personally put Jesus up on that cross. And so what Peter's saying here in these verses is that each and every single person of this world, past, present, future, all places, anywhere, it's us. We are the ones that are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. But he did so gladly because he wanted to take our place and substitute for us so that we could have eternal life with him. Everybody say amen. He gladly did it, but, but I believe what, what resonated with these early believers to be part of that movement was is that, is that they re- realized who Jesus was, but then they had to also realize that the reason Jesus was killed was because of them personally. Do you get that? I, that we are responsible not that we put them up there and that we, but our sins, our sins are the reason that he was on that cross. It is because of our cheating. It was because the lack of self control over our lusts. It was because of our gossiping. It was because of, it was because of the words that we say to others that hurt people. That, that put him on the cross. We're responsible. You see it? And that's what cut him to the heart. So what was their response? Three things. What was their response? Three things. Number one is they sought forgiveness from the cross. Peter said in verse 38, he says, Come, be baptized as a symbol that you're claiming Christ's death as your forgiveness. You know, Romans 6.23 says that on the cross, Jesus paid that penalty. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. And there are two things you have to see in the cross. Number one, that it is, again, your sin that put him there. But number two, that he did it to rescue you. Ladies and gentlemen, he did it to rescue you. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? He did it to rescue you. So they sought forgiveness from the cross. That was their response. And the the cross is is an invitation of grace. It's an offer for you to come home. And it's not enough to feel the condemnation of the cross. You have to perceive and receive the goodness of God coming to you through it. You know, I once heard a preacher use this illustration, and I think it's a good one. He said that once upon a time there was a man, and he posted in the classified ads, 
and 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 it and here's what it was said in the classified ads. It said it says John, all is forgiven. Come back to me, Dad. And he put his phone number in the classified ad. And within two days, he had over 400 phone calls. You see, something in us longs to be reconciled. You were created for God. So the first response was forgiveness, and that cross offers that forgiveness, and, it's, and it extends that grace to us. So the first thing we have to do in our response is, is seek forgiveness. And number two is repentance, repentance. The, the, the word that Peter used was repentance here. Now, he said in verse 38, he says, repent to be baptized. Now, repentance in the Greek means a change of mind. That's exactly what that word means. It means a change of mind. It's more than just a resolve to do better. Listen close. It's a whole new attitude towards God. Repentance is a whole new attitude towards God. You see that their entire attitude towards God had been wrong. They resisted him. They were his adversary. And now they saw him as their father. And the same thing is with us. I think a lot of times our attitude, to, our attitude towards God is wrong. And then they, we, we treat him more like an adversary than a father. But look, we have to change our mind. We have to repent. Repent means to, to turn from what you're doing and go the opposite direction. There had to be repentance for these guys. Because when we do that, that'll change our attitude towards sin. Now, when you know someone loves you, it changes your heart towards, towards them, doesn't it? You see, God loves us so much that he gave his only son. And that forgiveness is available, and there needs to be repentance. Number three, number three is they surrendered. And I think a lot of times this is where we stop as believers and I think this is the reason that a lot of times we don't, we don't keep that movement moving, moving is because we don't do number three. And here it is. They surrendered themselves to Jesus's lordship. They surrendered themselves to Jesus's lordship. Look at verse 37. It says, they said, what shall we do? <laughs> okay, give us two or three things that we can do to make up for this. You know, we'll, we'll pay you off, God. You know, isn't that sometimes our attitude? But, uh, but, but they said, what shall we do? In other words, we'll do anything. Coming to Christ means recognizing that he's Lord. And admitting that you've been living in rebellion against him. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, we don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. We come as rebels to lay down our arms. It's not about becoming a better person or being a little bit more religious. It's about recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he's in charge and you're surrendering to him and he's receiving his offer and we're receiving his offer to be savior. And that's something you've either, you've either done or you haven't. You have either recognized him as Lord and surrendered, or you haven't. You have either received his offer of salvation, listen, or you haven't. Now, we're not talking about becoming perfect people, 
You know, we all are going to struggle from day to day, and we're all going to have some inconsistencies. But I know that he is the, that he is the Lord, and I don't argue him about him being the Lord. Amen, everybody? Let me, let me just say this. I, I, remember, I remember, just like it was yesterday, the day that my heart was cut. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember up until that point, I just lived for myself that Ron Fox knew most and knew best, and he knew it was best for him. I remember those days like it was yesterday. I, I, I remember the struggles, and then I remember the day that this, the Holy Spirit pressed upon me, and, and my eyes were opened up to that Jesus um, is, is God, and that, and that there's no other way to have eternal life except through Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit convinced me of that, I remember the day that my heart was cut. And I remember that, yes, you know, there was that forgiveness and there was that repentance. But I remember that because of that cutting, I remember that I made him Lord of my life. And so I ask you this morning, has that happened to you? Do you know for sure that you're saved? Has there been a time that, yeah, you know Jesus, you know that he went to the cross and you had this religious understanding, but is he the Lord of your life? Have you, have, you, have you done the forgiving and have you done the repentance, but have you done the lordship? Because that's what makes a difference between heaven and hell. That's what makes the difference between the first death and the, and the second death. It's that you make him the Lord of your life. Because when he is the Lord of our life, then this movement thing that we want to love and care about and do <laughs> will be just like these, these, these 3,000 that says, what shall we do? Or in other words... I'll do anything. Because that's how the church reads. That's how the early church, and the, before this generation passed away, that's how they reached the whole known world, was because they said, what shall I do? I'll do anything. And they did everything, and they did anything that God let them to do. And the difference was the lordship. The lordship is everything. You know, it meant so much to these apostles that all of them died a martyr's death. When faced with the realization of death, they said, I'll do anything. I don't think anyone's ever going to ask you to, to, to give your life up. We live in a different age and different culture, but we all should be willing to do anything and to keep that movement moving witnessing to our friends, inviting people to church, living a right life in front of them, taking the liberty of Christ, which we have, not to do things, but sometimes not to do things. Does that make sense? Having that power under control. So the question to us is this morning is, have you been cut to the heart? My prayer and my prayer all week long has been, is that there's anybody here that's not sure about that, I hope today that you'll change that, that you don't leave out of here the same person, but just leave out of here out of, out of this worship service today different than when you, when you come in. Amen? Let's all just bow our heads for a minute, and I, I want to bring this to a close. Did you know that God doesn't have any grandchildren. 
You see, you have to choose Christ personally for yourself. You have to choose for yourself personally. Have you made that decision to trust Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you stepped across that line? Do you know that it doesn't matter about who you think Christ is? But instead, that you know who Christ is because who he says he is. And do you know that it was your sins that put him on the cross, but that he did it willingly because he wanted to rescue you? If that cuts your heart, and if you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of that, there's three things you have to do. You have to ask for forgiveness, you have to repent, and you have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you this morning praising you and thanking you for being our Lord and Savior. And Lord, my prayer this morning is, is that we'll be cut to the heart and that we'll continue that movement of that church, of the church moving with the message. And that we could be like these people in this first preaching service that just says, what shall I do? I'll do anything. Lord, I pray if there's one here that's never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that right now, Lord, we pray that you'll bind Satan, all influences from this place this morning. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to, to convict and that we'll remove ourselves from it and, and not fight it. But, Lord, that if you're telling us something, we pray, God, that will act upon it this morning. If there's one here that's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they're not sure about that, that they'll get out of their seat and, and, and come up here, not to be embarrassed, um, but to take care of the, the greatest decision that everyone has to make and to make it a personal decision. And Lord, I pray if there's just others here that's just it's gotten light in their Lordship, Lord, I pray that you'll just Again, bring conviction there. Lord, we love you and we give you praise and we thank you for this local church. And Lord, we want to move. We want to move for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?